This is a Wild Games Production Podcast. As being like it's changed dramatically, so it's there's this like weird parallel to the OSR, where right. people think that WoW's become too easy, or that like it's it's it doesn't play the same way it did when they were kids, and they've been wanting to have vanilla servers where it's just like WoW and like maybe Burning Crusade, maybe Cataclysm, but mainly vanilla WoW, mm-hmm. and um, much like the OSR. Blizzard of the coast had like shut it down. Like people were doing like their own private vanilla servers and Blizzard was like, nah, we don't support that. You have to play fourth edition. I mean Legion. And like people have rallied and now they're finally they're getting vanilla servers. Yeah, I think there's a trend uh in, in gaming, I guess overall is to expand and provide new opportunities and expand and provide new opportunities and then you get away from that kernel of fun you had at the beginning um and and there's there's just there's a lot of joy to have in that just that kernel of fun so i think that's why people like going back to that kind of limited sandbox uh because they see how much they had that they could do with it. I have very little experience with World of Warcraft. Um, I've gone up to the mighty uh, uh, realms of ninth level in a, in a World of Warcraft character ever. I think I reached tenth. I, I only played War- World of Warcraft once. But I guess this is not the retroism in gaming seeing a larger market trend that has diversified its influence across the spectrum of gaming. This is actually the Save or Die podcast, the podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Nailed it! <laughs> yeah! I'm one of your hosts, Crispy. I'm two of your hosts, Carl. I'm sticking with it, man. Carl, you're two people Going again? with it! I'm going with it! I'm sticking All right. to it! All right. I'm two of your hosts, Carl. You know what? I don't know what we should do at the beginning, but it ain't that. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah, no, that's all fine. I'm two of your hosts, Carl. I like it. I don't really like it, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, like, you yeah. And, uh, Carl, what have you been doing in gaming lately? Uh, so I'm a stay-at-home dad, and I homeschool my children. And I recently started a homeschool uh, uh, tabletop gaming meetup at one of my friendly local game stores. Uh, and that's just been a blast. I've gotten to play Dungeons & Dragons a couple of times uh, with some uh, kids mm-hmm. in the community. Um, which has just been great. Uh, playing uh, 1981 Basic Expert Dungeons and Dragons uh, with eight and five year olds today is just fantastic. I've never gamed with children. I, that's one thing I've never done. I don't know. I don't know if I have the patience to do it. Honestly, uh, there's not a huge amount of difference between the weirdness you get from some adults and the weirdness you get from kids. It's it's pretty similar. Experience. That's actually true. I I've definitely uh, gamed with some adults who acted like children so i guess yeah it wouldn't be that different it's a little bit easier to forgive <laughs> yeah you you know that these people can't help themselves their brains haven't fully developed your you know your buddies there's no excuse there i myself have have not done much classic uh D gaming um aside from our play by email D&D game that I'm a part of. We're on round five of combat. And uh, we just recently got all put to sleep by the party wizard. So I haven't had a lot to do because I've been introduced as like a prisoner who's there coincidentally who will join up with the party at a later date. 
Um, but now I really don't have a lot to do. C-C-R-E still sleeping, C-C. <laughs> Just like, uh, reply all, I continue to dream. Um, other than that, not a lot going on. I think we're going to start up a 5th edition game soon. Uh, I have a buddy who's talking about that. I'm going to play a champion fighter because um, it's yeah. the most old school fighter. And uh, yeah, I- I'm going to play him like a Solomon Kane kind of kind of character where he goes around, you know, hero of the people, right and wrongs where he can. Um, but I don't want to deal with a bunch of fiddly combat abilities. I just want to hit stuff with a sword. Which brings us into our topic today. Kind of. This is not one of my strongest segues. No, I thought that was really good. Eh. No, don't give up on it. They've been better. Uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're doing a class act, a return to that series with fighters this episode. Yes, my favorite class. Also my favorite class. So pound for pound. I mean, my favorite class is dwarf when it's racist class, but when it's not racist class, yeah. fighter, please. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, most people know me for my affinity for elves, well, I do love the BX Elf, if you had to sit me down to play a new version of D&D or a version of D&D I've never played before or a tabletop game, I'm going to play a fighter. Like, it's the easiest Absolutely. thing. And, you know, it's it's the... I, I view the fighter as the backbone of fantasy gaming. Yes. Because there's, there's just a ton you can do with it. Um... Because role-playing games came out of war games, you know, the the fighting man, as it used to be called, was that was your troop. That was what you had. Everyone was a fighting man. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's kind of um, one of my big, uh, uh, not, to, not, to, not to start a turf war here, but one of my <laughs> big uh, uh, lines I draw in the sand of what marks an old school experience versus a new school experience is if the fighting class isn't like face zero you need to know the rules and that's it then it's a new school game Uh, you know if there's a bunch of abilities you have to memorize just to play a fighter then it's you're you're stepping into a new school game because would you count even things like feats that give you combat like ability, like absolutely, a, absolutely, but I would count. Here's the thing, though, the OD&D fighter gets combat abilities. I assume you're talking about like sit spear versus charge and and stuff like that. No, not even that. Actually, I was talking more specifically about the parry ability. Uh, yeah, and also the uh, strength score adjustments and dexterity adjustments that uh, fighters have gotten since original D&D. What do you mean by strength score adjustments and uh, dexterity adjustments? So, in original D&D, dexterity only modifies missile fire adjustments. Sure. Strength and dexterity don't affect your um, your two hit and damage, nor do they af- nor does dexterity affect your armor class. That actually doesn't come in until supplement one, and only fighters get those abilities. So only fighters get the dexterity bonus to armor class. And they also are the only class that gets, well, paladins as well, uh, which is its own special fighter ability uh, that I'll talk about in a second. But they're also the only um, class that gets to add a strength bonus to, to hit and damage. Mm-hmm. That's from, like, way back in the day. Yeah, but I don't think that's the same thing that I'm talking about. I wouldn't call those feats. Um, oh, so what I so, was talking so, about was more like um, in third edition, you get like weapon specialization and like um, yeah, like weapon focus, which gives you like bonuses to to hit and damage. Yeah, weapon specialization, uh, I think, is the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> okay. Which yeah, is, I see which is, that. And like, that's my timeline, too. I mean, my, my uh, timeline for uh, the, the oldest of old school. Well, the it's oldest. Like anything before 1989, right? I think 85. you even don't. 85. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you don't even count, like, 2E as an old school game. Right. Well, or Unearthed Arcana. I think Unearthed Arcana yeah. is where it kind of started. I mean, I think Unearthed Arcana is the building block of second edition. 
I definitely don't disagree. Now, um, I'm not saying, like, I mean, I love playing 2E growing up. I, 2E's uh, the thing I grew up playing. Um, mm-hmm. I had tons of fun playing it. I don't think it's a bad game. I just think it is distinctly different from another period of old school. It doesn't mean it's not old school, but I do think there's levels to the old schoolness of certain games. Do you think that, um, like, OD&D, Basic, and AD&D, that's, like, the golden age, and then, like, um, 2E is, like, the silver age? It's, like, 2E and Rule Cyclopedia? I, I think... And then the the dark age of comics is <laughs> 3.5? Well, not really. I mean, I, 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 think, I think the 70s at all... Mm-hmm were its own animal and then and then the and then the 80s is kind of split in half and then i think really from then on it's 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 really it's been more of the same even though people have reacted harshly to third fourth fifth whatever even though fifth is less than third and fourth oh i definitely like am one of those people because i hate third edition i just I would never touch it again. Sometimes it's like a. Right, but what you, I'm you ever saying, done meth, stop. Carl? Go ahead. What say? You ever done meth? Have I ever done meth? You ever you ever been a yeah yeah you know you ever do a little meth on the weekends, <laughs> where then you you know you go to rehab and you get over your meth addiction. Okay. But then every once in a while you're just like, mm, man, should could go for some meth right now. That's how I feel about three point five. <laughs> well, I mean, I played three point five for a while too. I don't think it's inherently bad either it's not the game i like um because so we've gotten way off the freaking rails yeah. um what was the point i was trying to make we were talking about getting we so were like, talking about like i'm talking about power i'm not talking feats. about i'm not talking about oh you're a fighter so you get to get a strength bonus on your attacks or oh you're a fighter so you get to wear any armor and use any weapon I'm talking about keeping up with a list of powers and abilities. Mm. And the reason I'm against that is because there is a player at that would be happily at your table if they didn't have to keep up with a whole bunch of stuff. Well, that's why I'm in this 5th edition game that right. I talked about. That's why I want to play a champion fighter. It's like, no, nah, I just I don't want even I don't even want feats. Right, I, like which are I love feats in fifth edition. I just want to have all of the ability score bonuses and hit like a truck. <laughs> well, and that's I think, all I want to do, man. So, like to me, the the one of the interesting things about um, old school uh, basic D and D or A D and D is that the fighter presents a play style and the magic user presents a play style. And they're very different play styles. And I feel like when you look at later versions of the game, that's really not true anymore. You know, the it's play. It's really not, yeah. Yeah, the play style of the fighter isn't the same as the play style. Uh, uh, the play style of the fighter is keeping up with powers and abilities and daily uses of, of these rule breaking. Um, for lack of a better word, spells. Even though they're not called spells, but I mean. It's essentially a spell. Uh, it's something that's not contained within the um, main chunk of the rules. And what that loses for me is the player who really wants to sit around the table, hang out with friends, roll a die when they need to, and keep up with nothing else. Those players exist, and um, modern versions of the game abandon them. Yeah. I it's, I know we're so far off topic, but I think it is something that like will be relevant toward like for going forward in the discussion. Yeah. Is uh, I think your timeline for like how the game changes and how you know the seventies are their own thing, the eighties are only their own thing, and then beyond is uh, I was thinking about this in preparation for the show today. Is um I think what happens is in the seventies you have people making stuff. For their their selves, you know, they're they're making a thing that they think is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I think what happens over time is that you stop designing a game to be fun because 
that's the inherent function of designing a game, so why focus on that? Where you start designing something that you think is elegant or clever. And I, I think if you look at where the game was, where, like, Odin is real roughshod. And this is why this is important is Chainmail. If you look at the fighter in Chainmail, that's the, that's the class, right? That's the only class that exists. Then you bring in the fantasy supplement and you start getting clerics and elves and goblins and wizards and all that. Mm-hmm. But I guess the um, the from what I've been able to discover, going back to several shows ago when I was like, oh, I'm really interested in running OD&D with the chainmail rules, is people weren't using the man-to-man rules for man-to-man combat. I guess there's documentation that exists, and this is just what I've heard from talking to other people in the Discord. Um, go to our Discord. It's the Wild Games Productions and OSR Gaming Podcasts Network. Um, there's a link in the show notes. The mass combat rules were originally actually man-to-man rules that then was extrapolated to be, you know, 1 to 20 scale. And if you look at how OD&D, the OD&D fighter works and, and OD&D classes, th- there is evidence to support that because the fighter fights as a man plus one. And then at second level, he fights as two men. And then at third level, he fights as three men or a superhero minus one. And then he fights as a superhero at fourth level. And if you look up how a superhero fights, he fights as four men. And what's interesting about that is if you look at the man-to-man rules that were introduced to Chainmail, you it's a 2d6 system. And it very much reflects um, the alternate combat system that was introduced in original D&D. But goblin listings are they fight as heavy foot and defend as light foot. Those are mass combat rules. The thing is, is like original D&D is very rough shot. Chainmail is very rough shot. After the game had become its own established genre and you started getting designers come in, this is more so, I think, prevalent in like the 2000s and beyond, people were trying to make clever and elegant game systems, which I think is just a product of growing up playing these games. Anyways, getting back to fighters. Um, I... I do like the idea, like like you were saying, that fighters are the class that you can just pick up and play. It's One, it's a generic enough term that it kind of accounts for multiple archetypes, but even the class itself by design is generic enough that it, it accounts for multiple archetypes. Because, you know, originally it's the fighting man, so that could be a knight, that could be a ronin samurai, that could be a ranger, that could be a paladin, a barbarian, you know, you... you don't have to have all these additional subclasses that, you know, I don't think ever... They f- they fit very specific niche roles where, you know, and uh, what are you really doing? You're fighting. What? Like, all of those things are still melee classes. They exist to be fighters plus. And I think the fighter itself just kind of serves that purpose. I think just looking at the name in, in, in OD&D... That there was a point in history that fighting man was synonymous with soldier. Yeah, and I think that's all the class is meant to be, because when they when they walked in to play D and D for the first time, um, you know, before it was even called D and D, they were handed some soldiers and told they were going to be storming a castle, and so they were fighting men. They were soldiers in the army. Yeah. That speaks to what the class is. I I actually think there is room for um, other archetypes, archetypical rangers and and paladins and um, barbarians, and I I think maybe they should function differently from a fighter, because here's my hot take on fighters: they are the non-archetype. They're just the normal person in the army, the normal human. They are not an archetype because when you look at fantasy fiction for fighter archetypes, they have nothing in common with each other. There isn't really anything similar necessarily about 
for instance, Boromir, who I would say is a fighter archetype. Yeah. And the Hound, who I would say is a fighter archetype. Whereas, if you look at... They're both soldiers. Right. That would be the only corollary that I know, or like captains of a guard. They're military men. Right. Um, are, when you look at um, Fafford compared to Conan, you find multiple similarities between these people. You know, they have a barbarian archetype. I think fighter is just the catch-all for the normal human person with a sword. Um, you know, there there are literary examples you can pull from, but they don't really share an identity the same way the other archetypes do. Yeah, I it's I think that's a really good point because when we had did the show on clerics, when we had done the show on clerics, it was a lot easier to pull you know, literary roots and go like, this is it, or even historical roots with a fighter. It, it's a little hard. I found it was a a little more difficult because, you know, every hero in fantasy fiction up to a certain point really is just, it is a fighter. Like, even if you look at like the Chronicles of Pradane, like Tarin is a farm boy, but he gets a magic sword Mm -hmm. and he becomes a, a fighter or King Arthur. King Arthur is a fighter. That's and that's why I think the fighter is so unique in the kind of canon of classic D&D is because it surely it does represent a specific playstyle, but like it's so robust that it can it can accompany all these different archetypes and different roles in the world, you know? You can, you have your dread pirate Roberts, that's a fighter. You have your Conan the Barbarian, that can be a fighter. You can have your, you know, your gladiator. That's a fighter. Your samurai. That's a fighter. Your Zulu spearman. That's a fighter. You allow yourself the ability to twist it in whatever way you want, and you won't need those other um, subclasses. You know, you can just allow it to to be a product of, of adjudication from the dungeon master. Yeah, because I mean, like. That's the one universal that any culture coming to D&D, you know, a a magic user in Japan, something very different from a magic user from, like, an indigenous South American culture or, like, you know, a, 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 a Haitian Creole culture, where that would be, like, a voodoo man versus, like, an onyoji in Japan. Like, every culture in the real world like fights, you know. We yeah. all we all have warfare. I, I guess like the fighter is the is really the one universal class because all it does is hit stuff with weapons. Yeah, I think that's the root of this whole conversation is that the fighter is kind of this normal thing by which all the other classes can then be measured by. You know, your 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 magic yeah. user, um, you can know how weak they are. By comparing fighters hit die compared to the magic users hit die, uh, you know mm-hmm. you, you don't you don't think no one says oh fighters, you know oh you're so tough you're a fighter they say oh you're a magic user better stay in the back, you know the the basis of comparison is the fighter not uh, the other way around. Yeah, it's it's not like oh you're you're a fighter you're the strongest it's no you're you're a magic user and. In comparison to the normal dude, which is the fighter, you're weak. Um, that's really interesting, actually, because, like, yeah, I, I guess it can't be stated enough, even though I, we may be overstating it. It's like, the fighter is the backbone of the game. It's the vanilla class, and I think, like, I think that's what draws me to it. I think that's what's so interesting about it, is because when I just want to not turn my brain off, but not have to worry about preparing spells or, you know, advanced tactics of, like, I, I have to carry these many throwing knives because I only have one spell and I still want to be able to do stuff in the game. I just, I just want to play a fighter. <laughs> and and it, it goes back even to Chainmail, that comparison, because when I was making my Chainmail Cleric, um, I fight as light foot and defend as heavy foot. Whereas if I was a fighter, I could like I could fight 
and defend his heavy foot, which gives me like a 16% bonus to hit stuff. Like, so uh, I, I had to make a choice of like, do I want to fight with a mace and have a shield to be protected? Or did I want a quarterstaff and plate mail so that I could defend and fight as well as a fighter? Whereas in, in chainmail for a fighter, it's like, yeah, I can just take up a sword, I can have a shield, I can have my chainmail. I'm, at this point, the best kind of fighter I could be. The only thing that would make me better is if I had a horse. Huh. It's kind of an agonizing choice, actually. E- even as far back as the prototype version of the game. So you, like, there's tiers of how you can fight. There's light foot, heavy foot, armored foot. Whereas that kind of got streamlined into OD&D as, you know, leather, chain, or plate. Got it. That's interesting. Yeah, but then your weapon type was more determined for, like, it It determined how you would actually fight. So, like, my cleric has a mace, but if I could have had a morning star, I would have fought and defended as a heavy foot. But my DM said no. <laughs> so, because Morning Stars have spikes on, on them. Oh. Even though in the D&D arcade game, the ultimate weapon for the cleric is the Morning Star Mace. <laughs> um, so, in the uh, um, fighting men entry in OD&D, when it starts off describing the class, it simply says, All magical weaponry is usable by fighters. And this in itself is a big advantage. And it's kind of interesting that they kind of sell it as an equipment-based class. Um, you know, your your magic users level up and gain all these powers inherent with being a magic user. Where your fighter, you know, the, the power level of your fighter really depends on the sword and armor they find. I think there's something to be said for that for the fiction the game is inspired by. Um, you know... Uh, is is Aragorn Aragorn without um, Narsil is not the uh, right name. Yeah. Is Narsil the right name? Narsil is the right name. Narsil is... No. Oh, it's Narsil not the, the right name. Sword? Narsil is the sword that when it's broken, when it's reforged, it's named Anderin, Flame of the West. Got it. Okay. Anderil. Anderil. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited. Because then Aragorn, like, he he was raised as this name, and then he became Aragorn, but then he went back to Gondor and, like, did guerrilla operations yeah. under this fake name, and then he became known as Strider, but then when he becomes king, he becomes King Elisar, which means, like, elf light. No, he, he becomes King Telkontar. No, I think Telkontar is the name he used when he was running guerrilla operations. Elisar is definitely his king name. It's not. It's Telkontar. It's. I'm telling you, it's Elisar. It's Telkontar. It means Strider. That's not his king it name, is. though. It's. I promise you, it's not. It, oh, okay. So, um, we're both right. <laughs> er- Telkontar is the name that he uses when he like returns to no, Gondor. No, no, as no, no, a no, 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 no. It's. It's literally. Um. It's. It's. His name is literally Elisar Telkontar. Oh, Elisar Telkontar. <laughs> Telkontar yeah, is the family name he takes, and Elisar is the name he goes by. So we're arguing over the stupidest. <laughs> I do feel like this should be kept in. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Oh goodness gracious! It's not always sunshine and rainbows on this safer night. Sometimes podcast. we argue about what Aragorn's name was at the very end of the book. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great! Why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network of all games productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. God, I, uh... That was the I biggest like... fight we've ever had. <laughs> that really is. Wow. I was like, no, you're um... wrong! <laughs> Delcantar. No, I remember that. So it was Elisar. <laughs> I remember it vividly because in the books, the hobbits call him Strider, and and they're kind of like made fun of for it. And so he takes the name Telcantar, which is, I guess, Quinya for Strider. 
because uh, uh, it amuses him. <laughs> Did you know uh, one of Aragorn's original names was Elf Stan? <laughs> <laughs> He's got so many names. Estel and... I think Estel was the name he used as a kid. Anyways, yeah. this isn't about fighters. <laughs> it kind of is. Aragorn is kind of a fighter if you don't have rangers in the game. Aragorn's a ranger, though. Right, no. But but what your point was, and I I am curious about this. Um, You you put forth the idea that the fighter class can represent rangers and paladins and barbarians and all all of that. And you don't need those additional rules. So how do you handle somebody who wants to play, uh, let's say, in basic expert, and they want to be a ranger? And um, there's no rules for Ranger. Well, I mean, like, so that's the thing. Especially the fighter is so versatile. So I talked about this on Assad 9,000 years ago. Sure. Uh, which was making Conan the Barbarian. And it's like, you know, Robert E. Howard goes to his DM, uh, Howard Phillips. Uh, he's like, hey, I have, I have this great idea for a new character. You know, he's he's a barbarian from the steppes. And uh, his people are are real good at climbing. So how do you reconcile that? Like, if you, if, you know, you look at what the character can do in the literary source, which, you know, in, in Conan's case would be he might fly into a berserker rage, even though that's not really super codified in the Conan stories, but and he's really good at climbing. So you just give him thief climbing abilities. There's enough in the, in the games already that you can really fudge... And work together with your player to sort of come up with something. Because, I mean, what does Aragorn really do that isn't super fightery? You know, he's got some knowledge of medicinal plants. Maybe he's better at hiding. He's good at tracking. He's good at tracking. Which is like, hey, I'm a woodsman. Right. Like, and it's like, yeah, all right. Can I track this thing? Yeah, give me a D6 roll. And then, you know, you maybe give them a two and six chance to do this. And I don't even think you need to fudge XP numbers to do that, to calculate that. Because I, I don't think I don't think it's that consequential of an ability. That like, you know, him leveling at the same rate as all the other fighters is really gonna break the game. Well I think it it really depends on the type of game you're running. When you're running a basic game that occurs mostly in dungeons with some overland travel uh, classes like rangers and druids really get left uh, uh, out of the equation of usefulness. You know how useful is is a ranger in a in the fifth level of a dungeon? Um, you know they're not tracking anything, they're not hunting, they're not using any nature sense. Uh, I think you're you're right in in a game of of basic expert these uh, extant abilities they can be hand-waved pretty easily. And I think the introducing of, of a character class like Ranger or Paladin does muddy the waters where, like, let's say you had a plot point where one of the thieves have gotten away and now you're chasing them through the woods. And if there is a class whose ability is to track, then that means if you don't have one of them in your party, how do you adjudicate that for your party while keeping that class in mind? Or do you even care? Whereas... Well, in that case, within... I would say, you know, maybe one of your player characters is like, oh, well, I grew up in a rural area hunting and fishing. Would that give me the ability to do it? Right, 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 right. So right, right. even then, like, not having that class, those abilities aren't, like cut off from the game. No, 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 that's the point I was making. I'm saying having okay. that class... I'm sorry. The, the, yeah, the, you're, you're, you're making my point for me. What I'm saying is having that class exist within the game rules makes that a murky issue. If there's in yeah. advanced D&D, there's a ranger and their ability is to track, then when you don't have that ranger and everybody knows that that is that class's ability, then when you allow everybody else to track, they're like, well, why the heck would I ever pick that ranger? If that's one of its special abilities, whereas in a game of OD&D or BX or Holmes or Beckme, where there that's not really an option, there's not a tracking character class, then you can just allow anyone to make that a part of their character concept. Yeah, and uh, even like so, a ranger existing in a you know the fifth level of a dungeon, um, 
or or in this case a fighter with ranger like abilities um you know like those tracking abilities may not be apparent but i think there's still creative ways that you can use that like say you're trying to track down an enemy through the the dungeon corridors and uh if you just like wing him with your bow so that he's bleeding and leaves like a trail of blood so you can kind of think outside the box like you're still a fighter Mm-hmm. But because you have this sort of non-codified, just I can track stuff feature, I wouldn't even say ability, I would say feature, then you can sort of go like, all right, well, how can I how can I use that here? If I, like, shoot him in the ankle to hamper him to, like, slow his movement speed specifically, you can sort of break out of the box of I hit it with my sword. That I think is kind of a... It, it's a benefit... It's a boon and a bane of the fighter, you know? You don't have a lot... You don't have a ton to do in combat that's different. But the thing you do is, you know, it's not a resource you have to track. So it's it's a double-edged sword, if you will. No! I will not! No, um... <laughs> no, that's fine. That's and getting fine. back to, um, you know, the... Well, just the, you brought up the fighter who, like, his thing is he has different abilities. That's, like, one of my favorite things about the fighter is, like, you can just have this dude after an adventure who's armed to the teeth with a weapon for every situation. And in, um, in one of my earliest D&D campaigns, Tim, uh, who we've had on the show, who hosted Critical Wits uh, with me, like that was his he had a he was playing a ranger at the time but like that was his shtick he had just like he just kept picking up weapons mm-hmm. that like from defeated people so he had a great sword and like a punching dagger and a bunch of da- like uh, a bunch of regular daggers and you know a crossbow or a regular bow a <laughs> quarter staff he just <laughs> he was armed to the teeth because he was a fighting man type character, and um, I think that's really interesting. You know, you, you get like your one adventure fighter who has a thousand gold can now go and buy his suit of plate mail, and go and buy a mace for fighting undead, and go and buy silver daggers for fighting werewolves, and can like have all this stuff to the detriment of almost like. I, I thought about doing this today as the next fighter I make, foregoing any kind of provision buying and just buying every weapon I can. Mm. It's interesting that the fighter is the simplest version in, in a lot of classic D&D because that's kind of not the case for OD&D. And we've talked about this a little bit going in, but I, I do kind of want to, like talk a little more in depth about that. It, in OD&D, there's, as you add more supplements, there's sort of a progression to how powerful your fighter is. Mm. Um, and OD&D is really interesting because, like, it's really roughshod, and you have to extrapolate a lot of the rules. So when you're looking at, you know, using the man-to-man rules and then going into the fantasy supplement, if you're using chainmail, you have to sort of decide, like, all right, well... Am I going to use just the the alternate combat system that's presented in the OD&D books, or am I going to use my chainmail? And if you're using chainmail, that's where the fighter's ability of multiple attacks per hit die against normal men-type monsters comes in. Like I was right. talking about it a little bit before, you know, at, at first level you fight as a man plus one. So your hit die is, is a d6 plus one, but I think you can also extrapolate, I get to roll my... I fight as heavy foot, uh, I attack as heavy foot, rather, so I, I score a kill against light foot on a five or a six. Um, so a goblin would be defending as light foot. You could extrapolate that 1d6 plus one to go, I roll a d6 plus one to hit, so now I kill light foot on a four, five, or six. So a 50% to hit rate, because you're still rolling a d6 for damage with chainmail's man-to-man rules for D&D specifically. Um, And then at second level, you fight as two men. So now you get two attacks against 
goblins and kobolds and, and orcs. And then, you know, and so on and so forth. At, at fourth level, you're a superhero. You can start fighting dragons. But then you only get one attack per round. Uh, fantasy stuff fighting fantasy stuff, which would be superheroes. And they specifically mention Elric and Conan as their um, their basis for the superhero. Hmm. Um, so you sort of have to go. And, and that one attack per hit die versus regular creatures rule is ported back into OD&D, but it's missing from the rest of classic D&D. It only exists in OD&D, and it only exists in OD&D if you're using Chainmail as the combat system. If you're using the alternate combat system, it it's just one attack per round. So then when you get more into um, Supplement 1, that's when you start getting Benny for being a fighter. So you kind of go from OD&D and basic, a fighter's just your regular guy. If you're playing with Chainmail, you're a regular guy who goes through mooks a lot easier. If you're playing with Supplemental and Greyhawk, then you get to start adding your dexterity bonus to your, uh, not just missile adjustment, but to your AC. And you get to add your strength bonus to your to hit and damage rules. Um... I think it's also interesting that the percentile strength rule exists in Supplement 1. So not only could you potentially be the, like, far and away the best fighter in OD&D in your group of people, but if you roll an 18 for your strength, you could be just superhumanly above the rest of the party. Because if you have 18 double zero, you attack at plus four to hit. Plus six damage. Right. Which is crazy. Also, if you have a 17 charisma, you can branch out, and you're lawful, you can branch out to being a paladin. And none of the other classes at this point work that way until you get into later supplements and you start getting monks mm. and druids and stuff like that. But, yeah, like, it's it's just really interesting to me that there is definitely, as you add more books to OD&D, your fighter gets more complex. I think it's Supplement 3 Eldritch Wizardry. You can, um... You, you can have Psionic Fighter. Right. And specifically, Psionic Fighters are, like, yogis. They study yoga. <laughs> so you can, like, you know, shoot fireballs and also stretch your limbs across yeah, the screen. Yeah, your Dalsy. And teleport your Dalsy. And it's really interesting to me that, like, in the original version of the game, all of this exists, and then for basic, they ripped it out, and you don't really get abilities to, like, the companion rules. Um, well, see, I, like, think, I think something that kind of happened uh, then and still happens a little bit is wizards become so powerful as they progress mm-hmm. in level that there was like an almost immediate reaction of like, we got to make a fighter a little bit more powerful, a little bit more powerful. I think it's kind of in, in response. And I'm mostly guessing here to those powerful wizard classes who got so outlandishly strong to provide. It actually is. Okay. So the reason why there are variable hit dice is specifically, it's specifically stated in supplement one. A wizard gets a D4, and a fighter gets a D8, because we wanted to make wizards weaker, because they get so powerful later on, and we wanted to make fighters stronger. Well, okay. So that's, yeah, that's actually the reason, so the quadratic linear wizard problem has existed since 1974. Um, But yeah, that's the reason why there are even variable hit dice, not just variable weapon dice, or like... Yeah, so you you are correct in that. It was specifically just to make wizards weaker. Hmm. Well, I kind of imagine Mm -hmm. that's where giving the fighters the bonuses to hit for strength and giving them exceptional strength possibilities, you know, I think that kind of all stems from that. Um, Yeah, it's the same book. Like, literally the same booklet. Like, I, I, I don't care about... Uh, balance between the classes um like i don't care that wizards get more powerful and fighters are not as powerful um 
that's not something that bothers me I, I, because you're all on the same team. You should all be working together, ideally, in a game that I would enjoy. Uh, you know, there, there's... Yeah, I was. it's kind of a false argument because you're, you're all on the same team. Like, you're, yeah. the opponent isn't each other. It's the dragon you're supposed to be fighting. See, I, I, think, I think it's a little bit of the Dungeon Master's job to provide unique and interesting challenges for each player regardless of what power levels they're at when i was when i was younger i ran one game where i had some i think one really high level character and then the rest were like first through fourth maybe like really low levels and so what i did was simply provide them all with this kind of menace they all had to deal with that was tiered you know a little bit like uh i think it was one organism that that kind of um had uh like a hive mind but had uh, uh smaller versions of itself as well and so it, they were all fighting essentially the same enemy at different levels um and that was just something to provide them with this ability to uh you know it didn't matter that this person was the you know had all these extra abilities and extra powers because you're working together to the same goal as long as you're all provided with an interesting challenge. Yeah. It's Goku fights Cell, and then the rest of the Z Fighters fight the Cell Juniors. And you, your team has to win, because if you don't, Cell's going to blow up the entire world. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, the thing I, you're yes, describing I'm is... I'm aware, I'm aware of those words. <laughs> the thing you're describing is literally an episode of Dragon Ball Z. Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> I've seen Dragon Ball Z. I imagine there's some sort of uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, am- amnesia thief? What is it called? Amnesia thief? What is it called when you when you do something that you think is an original idea, but you actually just forgot you heard it somewhere else? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I didn't know that had a specific term. I always just chalked it up to synchronicity. Yeah, but no, no there's. A, I mean, there's there's that uh, parallel thinking. Yeah, but there's also. Amnesia plagiarism? Crypto, crypto, cryptomnesia. Cryptomnesia occurs when a forgotten okay. memory returns without it being huh. recognized as a memory. You just think it's something you came up with. Cryptonesia. Interesting. It was just, I don't know, way way off base with Amnesia Thief, which sounds like a terrible uh, subclass. <laughs> amnesia Thief is definitely a 3.5 <laughs> prestige class. That like you have to have like three like yeah, levels of wizard memories. and three levels of rogue. You give people a yeah. No, Actually, let's do that's this. a dope. <laughs> that's a dope like fantasy character. Ah uh, no, that's like I a Magic a, the Gathering planeswalker class on accident. <laughs> oh, I got no. prestige class everywhere. Um, Someone's got to clean this up. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. So, uh, have we said? You know, have we said enough about is, fighters? That's the thing about fighters is there's not there's not a lot to say. There's not a lot to say. That you they're the basic dude, and like that's basically yeah. it. Um, how do you feel about like Swords and Wizardry does this? Uh, Swords and Wizardry complete it at least, and you know Supplement One does this. If you were gonna play OD and D with with supplements, um, how do you feel about? Fighters being the only class that gets their strength. I don't like it. (laughs) I also I like it in concept. I don't don't like it in execution. The idea that this to me the stats are the baseline measurement of what your character is able to do. So if you were strong, yeah, then you should be able to swing a club harder because of the merit of being strong. So when you when you yeah. attach that to class abilities, it it creates a this kind of unification where I think a separation is actually really good to have. Um, I like the way um, Castles and Crusades does it, where they um, you basically focus on a stat as a as a prime. Um, their prime system allows you to focus on a stat, but I don't like it being baked into the class of like, oh, well, then you use your strength better because you are a fighter, even though that's the same thing. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. the exact same thing. I just realized I'm a hypocrite. Uh, <laughs> F- 
it's it's well, interesting. Well, okay, so here's the like, difference um, between the two. Th- One has a baseline, and then you can add the ability to, and the other mm-hmm. um, has nothing. And then the baseline that that exists for everybody for every other thing only exists for this class. Yeah, no, I like it, and I like it in concept. I like that you know this is a thing that makes fighters a little more special. It it's something that gives them the ability to like, you know, especially percentile strength. You know, you you're the dude who's like you're the Hulk. Um, yeah, I, I I really dislike percentile strength. Again, I like it in concept. I don't like it in execution because it's weird. It would make more sense to just say if you're a fighter, you get a plus two to hit and damage across the board for benefit of being a fighter. Then if you're a fighter with an 18 strength, then you get to roll percentile dice to see how epically strong you might actually become by virtue of being born with the physiology of being strong, I imagine, is the concept there. Um, See, I just chalked it up to being like literally... It's you're in a percentile. You're in the 99th percentile of strong men. So if you look at like a, you know, you, like when you take like a standardized test, you know, I'm, I'm in the 95th percentile. Mm-hmm. Did better than 95%. Well, right. But then it only occurs at 18. So if you do. Yeah. It, it, what it does is it is it nerfs any fighter that has a 17, 16, whatever strength. It makes having that 18 stat so important to your power level that I just dislike. Because I like the system to be less about stats and more about play. Yeah, I I understand that reasoning. The nature of strength being the prime requisite for fighters, they're naturally going to be better at that. And I've always seen, you know kicking the door in and shattering it being their sort of narrative Herculean strength. So it's sort of like a bit of accidental, like, ingenious game design of, you know, being so strong that you can rip a door off its hinges or, like, lift a portcullis. Um, It's not something that is inherently something that a fighter is better at, but because that strength is their prime requisite and it's the stat needed for them, they do then have the propensity to be better at that thing. And right. that's sort of their, like, hero moment. That's just a little tip that I thought of, but... Um, do we have anything else we want to say? Uh, we got an email. Oh, did we? Okay. We got an email uh, from DM Dice Bro, which is a pretty cool name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, DM Dice Bro says, Hello, Carl and Courtney. Ha-ha! Crispy, we're edging you out. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, it says, Thanks very much for the discussion about theater of the mind and miniature play. I would love to listen to both of you discussing the old rule sets again. Keep up the great work.